I commend earnest mental prayer to you, more particularly such as bears upon the life and passion of our Lord. If you contemplate him frequently in meditation, your whole soul will be filled with him. You will grow in his likeness, and your actions will be molded on his. St. Francis de Sales Hey, hey there. Welcome back to Catholic with a Zen Mind. That's right. The only Catholic podcast out here where we're looking at things from Buddhism, Zen Buddhism, Mahayana, any, all forms of Buddhism, all schools of Buddhism, other forms of Eastern spirituality, and we're taking concepts of them and comparing them to different things within Catholic teaching, uh, to compare and contrast. Sometimes we run across things that seem to parallel and sometimes can help a Catholic reach a peaceful state that helps them uh, connect more fully to God. Uh, and today, we're going to talk about mental prayer. Now, I'm picking mental prayer to talk to you today because, well, the uh, last major episode that we went over was actually a uh, Seven Sorrows episode. And I've kind of taken a break from then giving people a little bit of a <laughs> time to catch up, so to speak. Um, but we went over the Seven Sorrows Rosary. Now that is a specific kind of mental prayer. It's actually a mixed prayer. It's, uh, it's mental and vocal. Uh, th- the way I did it, see, you, I, I read a verse from Scripture and then, you know, said a Hail Mary, <laughs> said a prayer read a verse from scripture, said a prayer. So you're meditating, then you're vocally praying. Uh, But we're going to get into uh, mental prayer and what it is. Uh, We're going to go over the catechism of mental prayer itself. And I'm going to try not to take too long. (laughs) I say that now. Um, But who knows? I could actually get caught up in explaining this in reading from the Catechism of Mental Prayer. Um, But before we go uh, into the Catechism of Mental Prayer, I want to go and read basically what mental prayer is off of uh, Wikipedia. I'm just reading this off of Wikipedia. And then I do have uh, some stuff from Alphonsus Liguori and some other saints about mental prayer just to kind of touch on real quick before we start reading. Uh, So here we have the Wikipedia article on mental prayer. It says here, mental prayer is a form of prayer recommended in the Catholic Church, whereby one loves God through dialogue, meditating on God's words, and contemplation of Christ's face. It is distinguished from vocal prayers, which 
use set prayers, although mental prayer can proceed by using vocal prayers in order to improve dialogue with God. And no prayer is purely vocal, as it has traditionally been defined. Prayer is the raising of one's mind and heart to God. Um, so real quick, it, it talks about contemplation of Christ's face. That's actually a devotion itself, um, devotion to the holy face of Christ, uh, I think is what it's called. Uh, might have to look that up. <laughs> um, and then what I just said there, mental prayer can proceed by using vocal prayers. That's what I was kind of touching on there uh, when I was explaining the rosary just a minute ago. Uh, so we'll continue to read here, and these are just different selections from the Wikipedia page. I'll put it in the show notes. I'll put, you know, most everything I talk about. If there's a link to it, I'll put it in the show notes. Um, but these are just different excerpts or selections from these articles uh, that I picked. And we will go over uh, one of these articles in another episode entirely. <laughs> but uh, moving on here, it says, uh, One of the foremost writers on mental prayer, Teresa of Avila, stated, quote, Contemplative prayer is nothing else than a close sharing between friends. It means taking time, frequently, to be alone with him who we know loves us. End quote. Now here, the emphasis is on love rather than on thought. According to the Catechism of the Catholic Church, meditation and contemplation, which take place in, in mental prayer, are major expressions of the life of prayer in the Christian tradition. The practice of mental prayer is necessary for reaching the goal of Christian perfection, said Mother Teresa. Holiness is impossible without it. Ignatius of Loyola, the church's patron of retreats, popularized meditation and contemplation through his 30-day retreat, or spiritual exercises, which he customarily administered to lay persons, which as I've said many times before, is an episode I plan to go over in the future. I have a copy of Spiritual Exercises, and I will do an episode of the Spiritual Exercises of St. Ignatius of Loyola in the future. Do not worry. <laughs> um, moving on. Mental prayer was defined by John Harden as a form of prayer in which the sentiments expressed are one's own and not those of another person. Mental prayer is accomplished by internal acts of the mind and affections and is either simple meditation or contemplation. Prayer is mental when the thoughts and affections of the soul are not expressed in a previously determined formula. The function of mental prayer is to transform the mind and thereby affect a change in dispositions and in the heart. Such transformation is a lifelong process. Adolf Tancare distinguishes between vocal prayer, which is expressed by words or gestures, and mental prayer, quote, which takes place wholly within the soul, end quote. Mental prayer can proceed by using vocal prayers in order to improve dialogue with God. Mental prayer can be divided into meditation, more active in re reflections, 
and contemplation, more quiet and gazeful. John Cassian of the 5th century and John Climacius of 6th century discussed the ways of mental prayer, and many fathers of the church gave their own recommendations for it. Augustine of Hippo, St. John Chrysostom, St. Jerome, St. Basil, Saint, uh, and St. Bernard of Clairvaux. From before the middle of the 12th century, the Carthusians had times set apart for mental prayer. Early in the 16th century, the Dominican chapter of Milan prescribed mental prayer for half an hour during the morning and the evening. Among the Franciscans, there is mention of methodical mental prayer about the middle of that century. Among the Carmelites, there was no regulation for mental prayer until Teresa of Avila introduced it, practicing it for two hours daily. In the mid-16th century, Ignatius of Loyola, in his spiritual exercises, which he used with laypersons, taught methods of both meditating on one's life and of contemplating the gospel, accounts of Jesus' life, as a means of becoming more Christ-like. His method helped spread the habit of meditating beyond the cloister. Some modern authors recommend that this prayer be called interior prayer. Jacques-Philippe said, quote, It would be better to say interior prayer instead of mental prayer, because in our modern culture the word mental is associated with thoughts as something cerebral, whereas this form of prayer is more an affair of the heart instead of reflection. St. Teresa of Avila said that it is not an act of thinking much, but of loving much. End quote. Um, so that is pretty much most everything I want to read from the uh, Wikipedia page on mental prayer. So we'll move on here, and I want to read from an article about... Um, mainly focusing uh, on St. Alphonsus Liguori and what he has to say about mental prayer. It's an article on St. Alphonsus Liguori's The Great Means of Salvation and of Perfection. These are just some of the quotes that I grabbed out of it. Um, In the first place, without mental prayer, the soul is without light. The eternal truths are all spiritual, Things that are seen, not with eyes of the body, but with the eyes of the mind, that is, by reflection and consideration. Now, they who do not make mental prayer do not see these truths, neither do they see the importance of eternal salvation and the means which they can adopt in order to obtain it. St. Bonaventure also says that mental prayer is, as it were, a mirror in which we see all the stains of the soul. In a letter to the Bishop of Asma, St. Teresa says, although it appears to us that we have no imperfections, still, when God opens the eyes of the soul, as he usually does in prayer, our imperfections are then clearly seen. He who does not make mental prayer does not even know his 
defects, and therefore, as St. Bernard says, he does not abhor them. He does not even know the dangers to which his eternal salvation is exposed, and therefore he does not even think of avoiding them. But he who applies himself to meditation instantly sees his faults and the dangers of perdition, and seeing them, he will reflect on the remedies for them. Moreover, without meditation, there is not strength to resist the temptations of our enemies and to practice the virtues of the gospel. Sin has made our heart hard and indocile, for, being altogether inclined to sensual pleasure, it resists, as the apostle complained, the laws of the Spirit, quote, But I see another law in my members, fighting against the law of my mind, end quote, Romans 7.23. But man becomes docile and tender to the influence of grace which is communicated in mental prayer. By the contemplation of the divine goodness, the great love which God has borne him, and the immense benefits which God has bestowed upon him, man is inflamed with love, his heart is softened, and made obedient to the divine inspirations. But without mental prayer, his heart will remain hard and restive and disobedient, and thus he will be lost. Some may imagine that the long time which devout souls give to prayer and which they could spend in useful works is unprofitable and lost time. But such persons know not that in mental prayer souls acquire strength to conquer enemies and to practice virtue. The soul that does not repose and acquire strength in meditation is not able to resist temptations and totters on the road. St. Teresa used to say that he who neglects mental prayer needs not a devil to carry him to hell, but that he brings himself there with his own hands. Many say the rosary, the office of the Blessed Virgin, and perform other works of devotion, but they still continue in sin. But it is impossible for him who perseveres in mental prayer to continue in sin. He will either give up meditation or renounce sin. A great servant of God used to say that mental prayer and sin cannot exist together. Let a soul, says St. Teresa, be ever so negligent. If it persevere in meditation, the Lord will bring it back to the haven of salvation. All the saints have become saints by mental prayer. Mental prayer is the blessed furnace in which souls are inflamed with the divine love. Such, precisely, is the soul that practices mental prayer you will see that it always advances in good desires, and that it always brings forth more abundant fruits of virtue. Whence does the soul receive so many blessings? From meditation, by which it is continually irrigated. But let him omit meditation, and you will instantly find him wanting in modesty of the eyes, proud, 
resenting every word, indevout, no longer frequenting the sacraments and the church. You will find him attached to vanity, to useless conversations, to pastimes, and to earthly pleasures, and why? The water has failed, and therefore fervor has ceased. Quote, My soul is as earth without water unto thee. My spirit hath fainted away. End quote. Psalms 143, verse 6. So, that's kind of the end of the uh, <laughs> article uh, of what I wanted to touch on there with uh, St. Alphonsus Liguori, what he has to say about mental prayer. He has quite a bit to say. He wrote a whole book about it. <laughs> and, you know, I just felt like that was setting us up to show at least how important he views meditation to be, at, well, mental prayer, which meditation is involved in med mental prayer. So this is, we're not just covering meditation, we're covering a larger variety of contemplative acts, meditation, contemplation, you know. Um, and St. Teresa of Avila, um, St. Alphonsus Liguori, uh, I believe we had a few others that uh, we read about that all talked about mental prayer and advocated mental prayer. Here's a few more quotes from just a few more saints. Uh, St. Catherine of Bologna used to say, He who does not practice mental prayer deprives himself of the bond that unites the soul with God. Hence, finding them alone, the devil will easily make them his own. Uh, and then here, another one. Where, but in the meditation, have the saints been inflamed with divine love? By means of mental prayer. St. Peter of Alcantara was inflamed to such a degree that in order to cool himself, he ran to a frozen pool, and the frozen water began to boil like water in a cauldron placed on the fire. In mental prayer, St. Philip Neri became inflamed and trembled so that he shook the entire room. <laughs> that, that actually did come out of the uh, article of, uh, about St. Alphonsus Liguori. I believe that's actually in his book, too. Um, so here, here's a few more quotes and things dealing with saints and mental prayer. St. Lawrence, Lawrence Justinian says... Quote, by the efficacy of mental prayer, temptation is banished, sadness is driven away, lost virtue is restored, fervor which has grown cold is excited, and the lovely flame of divine love is augmented. End quote. Um, Saint Aloysius Gonzaga says, quote, He who does not make much mental prayer will never attain a high degree of perfection, end quote. And then St. John Chrysostom, um, he's, no, this isn't actually a quote, this one came from the Liguori article again too. Uh, St. John Chrysostom compared mental prayer to a fountain in the middle of a garden. Oh, 
What an abundance of flowers and verdant plants do we see in the garden, which is always refreshed with water from the fountain. Yeah, so that is all the saint quotes and all of the uh, Alphonsus Liguori uh, article that I wanted to read. So now that we got all of that stuff out of the way, we'll hop right on into the book, The Catechism of Mental Prayer. But real quick, right before we do that, we'll take a small break and we'll hear these ads. They only take a few minutes and then we'll come back and we'll hop into the book. Now you might want to uh, turn the uh, turn your headphone volume down, turn your speaker volumes down or something because this ad is still from the very early episodes. Um, it's still rather loud when it comes on. So uh, just a warning, if you're listening with your volume all the way up, you might want to turn it down a little bit. Go ahead and take care of that right quick. And then, uh, yeah, so we'll hear, we'll shift it on over and hear from my cousin, uh, Mike. Hey, hey there, listeners. Are you enjoying the show? Do you want more content? If there was a way you could contribute financially to the show, might that interest you? Well, we've been working on that. And for now, we've got a way you can support the podcast. It's to buy CBD products from our affiliate link, which we'll put in the show notes. CTFO, that's changing the future outcome. CTFO CBD is the fastest growing CBD company. Get excellent pricing on top quality organic hemp CBD products and support the podcast at the same time. According to the Harvard Health blog, CBD may help treat certain forms of childhood epilepsy, anxiety, insomnia, chronic pain, arthritis, and may help to inhibit inflammatory and neuropathic pain. All 50 states have laws legalizing CBD with varying degrees of restriction, so check your local laws. Thanks for listening, and be sure to subscribe and tell your friends. Okay, so to start off, we're going to read a quote from St. Teresa of Avila that's on the front cover of the book, The Catechism of Mental Prayer. The devil knows that he has lost the soul that preservingly practices mental prayer. Um... Now, for anyone wondering what the term catechism means, it's just a book of instructions. Pretty much all it means. Anytime you hear anyone say catechism of the Catholic Church, the book of instructions of the Catholic Church is basically what that means. So this is the book of instructions of mental prayer. So we'll go on and we will... I'll try to make this short. (laughs) It's a lot to go over. So... He goes through and he says, what is prayer? He says, prayer is an elevation of our soul toward God to render him our homage. Uh, and the soul, it elevates itself towards God by thinking of him, loving him, and conversing with him. It says here we should render God four kinds of homage. We should adore him, beg his pardon for our sins. We should thank him for his benefits and petition for his graces. Now, there are two kinds of prayer. There are vocal and mental prayer. Vocal prayer can, well, most easily be described as, you know, Our Father, uh, the Lord's Prayer, uh, things like that. Um, 
they're called vocal because usually we recite them using our voice, speaking them out loud. Uh, now, mental prayer, usually that means a prayer that doesn't have any kind of particular formula, not like the Our Father does. There's no written out formula for it. Um, and it's called mental prayer because usually it's made by our minds. We're usually thinking these prayers. Uh, ordinarily, this is called meditation. So when we talk about mental prayer, you can substitute uh, mental prayer for meditation. Pretty much the same thing for the most part. With Catholics and Christians, uh, it's more accurate to say mental prayer uh, than meditation because a meditation for a Catholic, usually we're meditating on things uh, <laughs> that deal with Christ uh, and his church. And so it would be a prayer. You see, so... Um, Basically, mental prayer consists of uh, thinking of God or holy things with the intention of rendering uh, rendering him our homage. So, every pious thought, every pious desire, it's a mental prayer. Uh, see, because mental prayer is a pious communication of the soul with God by means of considerations, affections, and resolutions. Its object is to make us know, love, and serve God better, and to promote the knowledge of ourselves and the faithful discharge of our duties. In practice, therefore, it is the art of becoming better. So that's mental prayer. It's, it's meditation or silent reflection on becoming better, and we become better by reflecting on Christ and his example. Uh, so is this necessary? Mental prayers are necessary. Uh, to, in, in essence, yes, for any Christian who wants to be saved. Um, because for one, every Christian is obliged to pray. Uh, and it, it is impossible to pray well without reflecting on what we say. Consequently, that's meditation. So, two, without meditation, we do not know what we want. Therefore, we do not think of praying. That's what praying is. We're asking for something. So, therefore, in general, meditation, mental prayer, it is uh, necessary, generally speaking. Um... To prove this, I mean, think about without meditation, everything would be done by a routine, by degrees, um, and this would lead us to thoughtlessness, spiritual blindness, and uh, insensibility. Religious orders, uh, this is actually a duty of them to be a part of their religious orders, is mental prayer. And it is uh, a practice of excellence, because... Uh, the advantages that it grants upon us. Um, for example, it keeps sin from us, saves us from hell. Uh, it preserves us from lukewarmness, cures us of it. For anyone who doesn't know what that means, lukewarmness is kind of like a eh attitude towards your faith. <laughs> you don't want that. Um, and it is also the common source of all virtues. Uh, so therefore, it's the shortest way 
of arriving at perfection and the most efficacious means of serving in our vocations. And it is a great honor because in mental prayer we are admitted to the audience, not of a prince but a, or of an earthly ruler, but to that of God himself. We get to meet with God himself. Um, and mental prayer is very easy. Uh, whether it's on the part of God or it's on the part of us. See, because if it's on the part of God, prayer is necessary for salvation. So, therefore, meditation, as I just went over a minute ago, is necessary for good prayer. So, if it's mental prayer, meditation and prayer, if it, if it is necessary for salvation, then everyone must be able to do it. So, therefore, yes, it is easy. So, to make the point that it's easy... Um, it's pretty much it, to make a mental prayer, right? It means to recall to mind, with the help of grace, some good thoughts. Um, to make in all simplicity acts of faith, hope and charity, uh, of confidence and humility, repentance, firm purpose of amendment, of petitions. It's not, those don't sound very difficult. <laughs> they can be if you make them difficult. Um, there are some difficulties, um, everyday work, you know, is, is, is kind of the same thing. We're called to meditate and, and pray mentally daily. And if it becomes a, a daily work, there are struggles. Um, there are difficulties. And where do these difficulties come from? Well, they come from the devil. He doesn't want us to meditate and to become more holy. Pray mentally. Doesn't want that. Uh, they also come from spiritual sloth, they, which that deters us from efforts which must be renewed, as it were, every day. It's just laziness. You just don't want to do it. You decide not to, because um, it might be inconvenient. Uh, some of these difficulties come from discouragement, which we experience in finding ourselves always combating numerous faults and defects, combined with a false persuasion that we cannot correct ourselves of them. You know, if you have anger problems and you think you can't correct your own anger, it can discourage you, and this can keep you from effectively, you know, meditating, praying mentally. Um, and then lastly, difficulties can come from our sins, which sins pull our mind and heart away from uh, our heart, mind, and will away from God and from prayer. So, obviously, this would naturally pull us away from mental prayer. So then, it would be necessary to have a sincere will in mental prayer if we earnestly apply ourselves uh, to it. And we must constantly beg for the grace from God. And how do we know if mental prayer, if we're making it well, well, I mean, a tree, a tree is known by its fruits, right? Thus, <laughs> so we can know if our meditation is done well by the worth of its results. And how do we know if its results are good? Um, well, it produces a greater fi fidelity to the duties of one's state, especially a greater love for humility, the mother of all virtues. For obedience, their guardian, and for charity, their queen. 
right? So there you go. That's the mental prayers, its necessities, um, and everything like that. You know why why we why we should be doing it, why we need to do it, the need for it. Uh, so now we'll move on and we'll talk about the you know kind of the preparational side of mental prayer. And, and some of you might ask, well, it's mental prayer, it's meditation. Why do I need to prepare for it? <laughs> well, as I stated, Christian meditation, uh, mental prayer is much different than meditation in the strict sense of meditation. Um, so mental prayer is divided into three parts, right? It's divided into the preparation, uh, the body, or the, the middle, the mental prayer, the body of it, and then its conclusion. Um, and so to justify this, think back to the idea of a divine audience with God. Now, in any audience that you have with anybody, there's parts to it. There's the uh, beginning or the before when you're preparing to meet for the audience. There's the during it when you're doing things appropriately to the audience. And then there is also the conclusion where, you know, you bring things, bring it, bring everything home, so to speak, wrap it up with a nice bow. <laughs> um, so many kinds of preparation are there? Well, there's, uh, for the most part, there's three. There's the remote, or the habitual, uh, there's the proximate, and then there's the immediate. So the habitual preparation, these deal with things that, you know, they keep us away from having the disposition to want to practice mental prayer. And they're just the daily things, you know, things uh, that that wreck your silence, noises that wreck your silence, you know, an attachment to a sin that you don't want to meditate on, because as I just said, sin pulls you away from prayer. Um, and then also uh, slavery to your senses and your passions. If you're, uh, if you're always hungry and you're always eating, you're not going to find time to meditate, are you? <laughs> uh, so how do you remove these? Well, you know, recollection and silence, meditation on them, for one, uh, but purity of heart, which means basically uh, having a strong conviction not to commit any sin uh, with full deliberation or full consent of your own will. Um, and lastly, exterior and interior mortification. Uh, it's a little bit more on the extreme side, but that is one of the ways. So, principal acts of the remote preparation. So ways that you can kind of um, do this and get yourself in that zone, that habitual preparation for your mental prayer every day is to habitually remembering the presence of God. I mean, God, he is in all, right? Habitually remind yourself of that. Remember, he's always there. Uh, purify your intentions. Um, you know, if you, if your intentions throughout the day are pure, when you sit down and you do your mental prayer, it stands to reason then that your mental prayer intentions shall become pure. Uh, and then also frequent rec recourse to ejaculatory prayers. Pray, pray often, pray daily. It'll help keep you in that mindset. Uh, so we'll move on to the second type of preparation, which is the proximate. So this is when you're on the threshold of getting ready to do your mental prayers. 
Um, and so principally it's, you know, their, their preparations being recollected at the approach of your meditation, uh, or, or in foreseeing the subject of mental prayer, you know, the principal considerations, uh, that you want to pray or meditate on and the fruits that come along with them. Um, and is it necessary? Yeah. Cause if, like we said, with the idea of the divine audience, if we are wanting to appear to God and, you know, in respect appearing before him, we should know the subject of what we want to discuss with him or what we want to br- bring before him out of reverence. Um, and two, because, you know, without preparation, uh, our minds will wander. <laughs> uh, and now, choosing what to uh, meditate on, specifically, now that is something that should be done in accordance with the needs of your soul. So if you're falling into a specific mortal sin, meditate on why. Pray on why. Uh, if, uh, you know, if you have any attractions to specific graces, you can contemplate those and spend your time in mental prayer on those. Um, and then any advice from your spiritual directors, you know, your confessors or whatever. Um, and it is uh, helpful to meditate on m- many subjects repeatedly, especially the great truths of salvations, uh, the, the four last things of men, as we've talked about in our Memento Mori episodes. And, uh, and on the life of the passion of our Lord, virtues, um, and, and the glories of the Most Blessed Virgin Mary. Um, and sometimes it is useful to repeatedly come back to the same subject until you satisfactorily have prayed through it. Um, so, and the last thing that your proximate preparation should hold is a preparation that comprises the exactness of the hour and place of your meditation. You can spontaneously uh, meditate and conduct mental prayer, yes, but if you have a routine um, place and hour, it's easier to get into the habit and to visit mental prayer uh, routinely. Uh, Lastly, we have immediate preparation. Um, and this is pretty much just, you know, you're, you're there. <laughs> um, so this is when you're entering into your uh, mental prayer. So you would want to, one, you'd have an invocation to the Holy Ghost, to the Blessed Virgin, and to our guardian angel, who acts as an usher. Two, you would want an act of faith in the presence of God and of union with our Lord. And then three, other acts derived from this act of faith, such as acts of humility, confidence, contrition, etc. And the act of faith, it, it is the most important part of this immediate preparation. If we neglect it, we expose ourselves to performing our meditation badly. And it is not very difficult. Um, and is because, again, it is something necessary. Uh, keep in mind that God is present everywhere. Right? So to make an act of faith to God is relatively easy. 
and no effort of the imagination is really required, um, especially in front of the presence of the Blessed Sacrament. And this doesn't have to always be the act of faith. It doesn't always have to be made in the same manner. Uh, it can be made according to the attributes that we consider God or the state of our soul or to the end we propose to ourselves in mental prayer. And uh, so in mental prayer, this is the four attributes we consider God, right? We consider God as our creator in order to adore him with profound humility as our savior and judge to ask pardon for our offenses as our benefactor to thank him and above all as our father to invoke him with an entirely filial confidence now it is not always necessary to make all of the above mentioned uh, acts, but we should never omit the act of faith in the presence of God, or the acts of adoration, humility, and confidence. Uh, sometimes it it is also advantageous to make use of memorized formulas when doing these acts. Um, it would be better to do them spontaneously, especially if we can do this from the bottom of our heart. And usually these should only last a few minutes. Now, however, if someone should feel so inclined, they can prolong these acts to even the close of the exercise. Now, keep in mind it is proper to kneel when addressing God. But if this posture becomes too fatiguing, we may take another, provided it be respectful. So now we've covered we've covered the preparations of mental prayer. Uh, now we'll move on here to the body of mental prayer. And so, you know, the body of mental prayer, it's kind of like an interview, um, properly called that, honestly, uh, of the soul of God. Um, now, to begin this, usually you want to call the mind you know, the object and uh, end of the audience, the subject of your mental prayer, the fruit you wish to draw from it. Uh, these are called usually the first and second prelude. And uh, usually it's, it's, it's helpful to divide the subject of your meditation into several points um, because you can come back to or, or you can comprehend points at a time instead of considering it as a whole. Now, if you have specific meditation books, you don't have to adhere specifically to how they dissect your meditations. Um, and each, uh, each meditation itself, the points that you dissect them into, some of them can help you better ad uh, adapt to the fruit you wish to draw out of your meditation. Um, and when you dwell on them, you only need to dwell on them as long as your soul can occupy itself usefully with the, uh, the divisions of the, uh, the subject. Um, and you don't have to necessarily meditate on all those points. You can come back, you know, your next meditation and pick up where you left off, uh, continue on to the next one after that. During this process, all the faculties of our soul uh, can be brought into this activity. It is 
customary to ascribe all the acts of mental prayer, however, to the intellect, the heart, and the will. These acts which are produced during mental prayer by the intellect, the heart, and the will are respectively termed considerations, affections, and resolutions. Right? So, uh, considerations. Um, considerations, they're meant to be pious reflections which the mind, aided by the light of faith, produces during the exercise of mental prayer. Uh, and to meditate in the light of faith is to make the truths of faith the rule of our thoughts, judgments, appreciations, and determinations. It's necessary to meditate in the light of faith because faith alone can instruct us infallibly in the things which are important for us to know um, and also because the light of faith acts at the same time on the intellect, the heart, and the will. And we should never neglect the light of reason. Uh, it's a natural gift which God favors us to show us our duty. The end and purpose of the considerations is so that we know the subject of which that we are meditating and so that we can allow it to penetrate it or to penetrate our minds and ourselves more vividly with it and to draw more practical conclusions from it. So therefore, these considerations are very important because we can extrapolate good resolutions and, you know, it helps us produce strong convictions. And anyone can make considerations. It says here that the least cultivated mind can reflect. And considerations, they're never really made in the same manner, made differently, according as the subject of mental prayer is a truth, such as the doctrine that our eternal destination must be either heaven or hell, or a fact, such as our Lord's death on the cross. When the subject of our meditation is a truth, we need to direct our attention to that truth. We need to endeavor to understand its meaning by reflecting on it, on its words, by distinguish, by distinguishing uh, this truth from others, uh, by establishing comparisons, deducing consequences, grasping the extent, the necessity, and the advantages of the truth. We should endeavor to discover the lessons which it teaches. And when the truth becomes more evident to our mind, we must repeat acts of faith like the following, quote, O my God, I believe this truth, but increase my faith, penetrate me more deeply with it, end quote. It is also useful to study the lives of the saints, uh, the Blessed Virgin, and our Lord, because our Lord is the model of all sanctity. The Blessed Virgin and the saints are the most faithful copies of this divine model. How did our Savior, the Blessed Virgin, and the saints think and act and respect to any truths we meditate on? 
What difference is there between their conduct and mine? We must examine what our conduct has been in the past with regard to whatever truth, what it is at present, and what it should be hereafter. Questions like the following may be of use here. Did I adhere to this teaching? Was it the rule of my appreciations and conduct in the past? Am I at present disposed to take it for the rule of my conduct? What would a lost soul do in this regard if it could come back into life? What would a saint advise me to do? What would I like to have done at the hour of death? Now it's useful to put special stress on the motives that should induce us to put into practice the, the maxim or the truth which we meditate. The more deeply we are penetrated by these motives, the more forcibly our will is impelled to adopt energetic resolutions. So when the subject of our mental prayer is a fact, we should proceed with our imagination, figure ourselves beholding the scene, the place, and the persons of the fact, listening to all that is said and assisting at all that is done. We should also endeavor to understand the meaning of all we have heard and seen with our imagination. And lastly, we should endeavor to discover the lessons with which the fact teaches us. Now when the subject is a mental virtue, it's much a truth, because the manner of meditating on a virtue is the same as meditating on that of a truth. Now, the dangers to avoid when making considerations, there's three of them. There's one, such an application of the mind as would make of meditation a study rather than a prayer. Two, a search after sublime and purely theoretical considerations. Number three, idleness, be it on account of discouragement, disgust, fatigue, or any other cause. Now moving on to affections. Affections are meant to be the good sentiments which the heart feels during meditation and which induce the will to make good resolutions. Now there are two kinds. There are spontaneous affections and voluntary affections. Spontaneous affections are, you know, such present themselves without having been sought after. Voluntary affections are such as are produced by reflection. So, uh, there, one, there are affections of humility, fear, regret, and gratitude. These generally refer to the past. Two, affections of fervor, love, and holy desire. These generally refer to the present. 3. Affections of hope, 
confidence, submission to God's holy will, and good promises. These generally refer to the future. And four, affections of supplication. These may refer to the past, the present, and the future. By supplications, we mean ejaculatory prayers and petitions of all kinds, which we address to God during meditation. Now, we can address supplications to God on behalf of others, and, and we're encouraged to do so on behalf of the church, the society to which we may belong, and those persons whose interest we have at heart, such as the members of our community, our pupils, or our parents. Now, we don't necessarily have to call forth indiscriminately all kinds of affections. It's advantageous to adhere to those with which God inspires us, to those which relate to our necessities or which proceed naturally from the subject of our meditations. And we can always produce these affections at will, even in dryness and abandonment. In meditation, the affections are ordinary desires, regrets, petitions, and invocations. That is to say, acts in which the will plays the greater part, and man is always master of his will. Affections should have a prominent place in meditation, especially those of supplication. It should ordinarily occupy a large portion of the time of meditation. Mental prayer is more the work of the heart and will than of the head. So, an easy means of eliciting affections consists in having recourse to supplications and in addressing ourselves to God, to the Blessed Virgin, and to the saints, and in the same manner as we would speak to our father, to our mother, or to our friends, if we were in their presence. So sometimes during meditation we might experience certain certain sensible attractions. Which you, uh, frequently there are graces and encouragements which God gives us as a help to make mental prayer better. These attractions and consolations do not depend on our will. Besides, they are neither necessary nor meritorious in themselves. We can make excellent meditations without experiencing the least consolation. Some certain sensible affections. We might not might even distrust them. Uh, such are the affections, which, proceeding from an altogether too natural sensibility, do not result in good resolutions. Affections of this kind can easily lead to illusions. So kind of, you know, it's talking about uh, affections of a physical sense, so to speak, a natural sense. So what is meant by resolutions? Now, by resolutions... We mean firm purposes of the will to avoid sin and practice virtue. Now, are these important? Well, yeah, because they constitute the principal fruit of mental prayer. Without them, this exercise would, for the most part, remain sterile. Now, how do we make good resolutions? 
We make good resolutions by making pious considerations and holy affections. These will naturally give rise to good resolutions. The mind perceives what is good. The heart feels drawn thereto. And finally, the will, aided by grace, decides on doing it. It is useful in meditation sometimes to devote some moments exclusively in the resolutions. Although the resolutions are substantially implied in the considerations and affections, and may have been determined already in the course of the meditation, at least in a general way. Still, it is useful and even necessary to devote some moments exclusively to the resolutions in order to give them more force and precisions. And undoubtedly, these resolutions are the effect also of grace, since it is God who works in us not only the good thoughts and pious affections, but also to will and to accomplish according to his good will. In order to make good resolutions, we must therefore multiply and fervently renew our invocations to God, to our Lord, and to the Blessed Virgin, and to our guardian angel. And we don't, now, we don't always have to, you know, I mentioned meditation books a little earlier, you don't always have to, if they have resolutions in them, you don't also always have to make those resolutions. It's not necessary. And mainly because those resolutions, they may not always prove to be the most useful to us in our actual condition or our actual spot in life. Um, now, there are some qualities uh, that our resolutions should have to be really profitable. They should um, be precise. They shouldn't be vague or general. They should be practical, not theoretical. They should be personal, meaning they should be relating to our duties, our wants, our inclinations, and especially to our predominant passion. They should be proximate, not for the distant future. They should be firm. They should be persevering, constantly renewed until a satisfactory result is obtained. And lastly, the general end, all our resolutions should be directed towards, is to the accomplishment of God's holy will. It is in conforming our will to his adorable will that we can attain true wisdom, perfection, and happiness. Now, all, all these considerations, affections, and, and resolutions... In what order are they produced? And orderly, and ordinarily, it goes like this. Considerations, affections, resolutions. Now, you don't always have to strictly adhere to this order. Sometimes affections present themselves before considerations, and resolutions before the affections. Such cases, we must follow the movements or inspirations of divine grace. So, what this points out to us is that in mental prayer, the considerations, affections, and resolutions may follow one another or intermingle in various ways. The soul, in its interview with God, 
must be allowed to act with perfect liberty and simplicity. It should dwell on each of the different parts of mental prayer as long as it feels itself so inclined. Now, dwelling longer on the considerations, now insisting more on holy affections, now devoting more time to practical resolutions. All this depends on the movements of grace and on the dispositions which animate the soul at the moment. Here's an interesting point here. So, depending on which is the predominant, uh, the consideration, affection, or the resolution, depends on what name we give to mental prayer. It is called meditation when the considerations are dominant. It is called affective prayer or prayer of supplication when the affections predominate. It is called prayer of conformity with God's holy will when the resolutions predominate. And at the end of mental prayer, we have our conclusion. By the conclusion, it basically means the acts made before retiring from the divine audience. And what are these acts? One, they are an act of thanksgiving for the favors obtained during mental prayer. Two, they are an act of uh, regret for the faults committed during mental prayer. Three, they are a renewal of the firm purpose to avoid sin and to practice virtue. Four, they are a spiritual bouquet. Five, a spiritual colloquy. Six, they are the concluding vocal prayers. Now, if you haven't yet determined your resolution, you must determine it at once, according to the indications given. Now, by spiritual bouquet is meant a thought of faith or a maxim taken from scriptures or from a saint, a supplication which sums up and recalls to mind the good sentiments and resolutions of the meditation. We should recall the spiritual bouquet often during the day. What is meant by the colloquy? By the colloquy is meant a parting word addressed to God, to the Blessed Virgin, or to some saint, on the subject and the purpose of the meditation. Now, why is mental prayer terminated by vocal prayers? In order to recommend to God, to Mary, and to our other heavenly protectors the resolutions and fruits of this exercise. And then, after meditation, we must be on our guard, especially against infractions of the rule of silence and against dissipation. It is important to examine ourselves on the practice of mental prayer, especially if we wish to advance in this holy exercise. Now, what points ought we to examine? We are to examine the parts of mental prayer on preparation, on our considerations, on the affections, the resolutions, and particularly on the principal resolutions. It is useful to look for the predominant defect of our meditations and for the causes thereof. 
Now, we don't have to examine ourselves every time on every single one of the points I just mentioned. Uh, sometimes you can choose one or sometimes another. The essential thing is to make a short examination every day and a more complete one on certain days, such as Sundays, but especially on days of retreat. Uh, and this daily examination of mental prayer, it is to be made immediately after the meditation, or at any other moment of the day, preferably at the particular examine. So, if you have to reproach yourself for a form of negligence in your meditation, it's advisable to impose a penance on ourselves and to compensate for our negligence by making a supplementary meditation of a few minutes during some free moments. Now this I, I, I'd like to speak on for a moment. I actually, you know, if I ever have to give a penance to myself, I will say, uh, I will tack on the Seven Sorrows Rosary. Saying Seven Sorrows Rosary is what I call my supplementary penance <laughs> for anything <laughs> and everything. Uh, that's just my suggestion. Ah. So what other means may be employed in order to succeed in making mental prayer well? Keep yourself in account of it and submit it regularly to your spiritual director. Okay. So, moving on to the last two parts here. Ah, mixed mental prayer. So, mixed mental prayer is... Um, is mental prayer, and it's kind of, it's, it's combined with any other spiritual exercise. Uh, vocal prayers, spiritual readings, benediction of blessed sacraments, way of the cross, the assistance at an instruction or conference, holy mass, preparation for holy communion, etc., etc., etc. So here's a few prayers that uh, you can easily combine with mental prayer. Okay, so you have the Our Father, the Lord's Prayer, the, uh, the Ave Maria, the Hail Mary, the Apostles' Creed, uh, the Whole Rosary, <laughs> the Acts of Faith, Hope, Charity, and Contrition, the Mass, Prayers, etc. Some spiritual books that uh, might furnish matter for mixed mental prayer is the Holy Scriptures especially the Psalms, Gospels, um, the imitation of Christ in spiritual combat as well. How then is mixed mental prayer to be made? 1. The ordinary acts of the immediate preparation are made. 2. The subject of the meditation is read or recited slowly, entirely or partially, according to the subject chosen. 3. One point or idea after another is taken up. 4. On each point, the considerations, affections, and resolutions are made according to the method indicated for the ordinary meditation. Now, is this recommended? It's earnestly recommended by St. Francis de Sales, St. Alphonsus Liguori, St. Philip Neri, and in general, by the masters of the spiritual life. And it's advisable to adopt this kind of mental prayer when in the exercise of pure mental prayer we meet with difficulties against which we have vainly endeavored to struggle. 
So if you're uh, having a particular problem getting over something difficult, this is what you want to do. You want to use mixed mental prayer. You want to say a rosary about it. Um, so now there is a danger. Now what danger is that that you want to be on guard with during the exercise of your mixed mental prayers? And it's changing your meditation to a continued reading or into an empty recitation, um, which can happen a lot with the rosary. A lot of people just start saying it and their mind starts wandering. So the benediction of the Blessed Sacraments, it can be, uh, this can be used with mental prayer. You can be done by using subjects of liturgical chants and prayers referring to the Blessed Sacrament. You can visit the Blessed Sacrament. And, well, I mean, honestly, that's just a great place to start. Just start there. <laughs> um, so the way of the cross, uh, performing that in meditation, so it's, it's, it's easily done by, re by reflections and affections on the sufferings of Christ. Since the way of the cross is essentially a meditation on the passion. So how do you attend an instruction by way of meditation? So one, by evoking acts of adherence to the word of God, which is being taught. Two, by applying it to ourselves. Three, by producing appropriate affections. And by four, by forming corresponding resolutions. How may we assist at Holy Mass by way of meditation? One, by uniting ourselves in mind and heart to Jesus Christ, who is at once priest and victim. Two, by meditating on the four ends or purposes for which the sacrifice is offered. On God's holy presence, on the ceremonies of the Mass, on the Passion of our Lord, which these ceremonies call to mind, or on some prayer of the Mass. So we can reflect the preparation of the Holy Communion with mental prayer by reflecting on the answers to the following questions. Who is coming to me? What is his object in coming to me? Who am I that I dare to receive him? By producing affections that naturally flow from the above-mentioned reflections, such as acts of faith, admiration, humility, contrition, hope, desire, and love. These are also ways that pre preparation for the Holy Communion can be combined with mental prayer. Now, when we do mixed mental prayer. You should never omit okay, the essential acts of the preparation and conclusion that we spoke of earlier. Okay, and so the last section, and the last part we'll go over is difficulties encountered in mental prayer. Now, a lot of the difficulties people usually have, distractions, uh, aridity, and illusions. So let's go through these in order here. So what is a distraction? It is a deviation of the soul from the object which ought to occupy its intention. Now there's uh, two kinds of distractions, voluntary and involuntary. Now distractions are voluntary, directly or in themselves, when we do not endeavor to banish them as soon as we perceive them. And indirectly or in their causes when we do not endeavor to remove the causes. Now, what are the chief causes for these distractions? 
Well, one, Satan. <laughs> Two, a want of preparation for meditation, especially of the habitual preparation. Three, the natural levity of our mind. And four, the multiplicity of our occupations. Now, can we remove all these causes? No, we cannot remove them wholly, but we have to struggle against them and, and endeavor to diminish their sad effects. Then there are unavoidable distractions, which they are unavoidable. <laughs> Therefore, we should not be surprised at distractions, still less troubled or agitated. It suffices that we turned our, turn our mind back to our prayer as soon as we become aware of their presence. Now, why does Satan endeavor to distract us during mental prayer? In order to make us lose the profit which he too well knows we derive from this holy exercise, and, if possible, to make us abandon it entirely. Now when are distractions involuntary? Well, one, when we have not caused them, two, when we are not aware of them, and three, when being aware of them we do not entertain them freely. They are neither culpable nor even injurious. Now, how must we act in regard to distractions from the very beginning? We must make up our mind to meditate well. Then during the meditation, we must drive from our mind every distraction as soon as we perceive it. And to do that, the means we may employ, we may humble ourselves for these wanderings of our mind, but without becoming troubled. We may recall to our mind the presence of God, of the Blessed Virgin, and of our guardian angel. We may gaze at an object capable of fixing our attention, like the tabernacle, a crucifix, a pious picture, etc. We may ask God's help by ejaculatory prayers, and calmly endeavor to take up the subject of meditation again without ever becoming discouraged. So if we spent our whole time battling our distractions, this is not a, a reason to become disheartened. Okay, This meditation is something that St. Francis de Sales would call the meditation of patience. And it would not, by any means, be any less excellent. Now, why? Would that be good or meritorious? And it, Because the sincere will to do what is required for meditation is in itself already a good meditation and ensures all the fruits thereof. Besides, the greater our efforts to overcome difficulties, the greater our merits. This is also within, uh, it's also encap encapsulated within the rosary. I've, I have heard it said that the harder it is for you to f say the rosary, the more graces you are granted. Um, so if you keep getting distracted but you power through, it's a more powerful rosary. <laughs> um, at least so I've heard. No. Uh, <clears throat> so we'll talk about aridity. What is it? Aridity is a state in which the soul finds itself unable to produce the acts of meditation on account of lack of thought and sentiment. And how many kinds are there? Well, there's two. 
There's voluntary or culpable aridity and involuntary aridity. Now, the ordinary causes of voluntary aridity are affection for sin, habitual dissipation of the mind, immortification of the passions, such as pride, egotism, sensuality, and lack of simplicity. How must we combat it? We combat voluntary aridity in its very causes. Now, what do we do when we suffer from it? Without permitting agitation or discouragement to lay hold of us, we must simply remember God's presence and try to make acts of faith, humility, confidence, and love. But especially acts of love, supplication, or especially acts of humble supplication, which, as we have seen, are always possible. And even when it's prolonged, aridity can never prevent our meditation from being excellent. The greatest of saints have gone through this painful ordeal. And when we are in the state of this aridity, we should recall these truths to our mind. One, that virtue does not consist in tender affections, but in serving God with courage. Two, that God tries by aridity, more particularly those whom he loves. Three, that aridity is a source of great spiritual profit. We must never, ever, give way to discouragement. It would be dishonorable to God and detrimental to our soul. And lastly, we'll talk of illusions. Illusions are false ideas which Satan endeavors to plant in our mind in order to make us eventually abandon meditation. Here's some examples. To believe that mental prayer is too difficult and that we shall never succeed in performing it well. To believe that it is useless to apply ourselves to mental prayer since we do not make any progress in virtue anyhow. To judge of the value of our meditation by the consolations or good sentiments we experience. So to break these down, here's why the first illusion would be false. Mental prayer, as has already been said and proved, is always possible and even easy for those who are animated with a good will. Falsity of the second illusion. Meditation performed with a good will is necessarily attended by progress in virtue, though the progress may not be perceptible from day to day. In order to make plain the falsity of the third illusion, state by what we should judge of the value of our meditations. We should judge the value of our meditations, especially by the firm determination of our will to reform our lives, to be less selfish, to be more charitable, more submissive to God's holy will, more obedient, more pure, and more humble. What benefits accrue to us from the difficulties of meditation? The difficulties of meditation contribute to maintain us in humility 
ensure our progress in solid virtue, prevent remissness and illusions, and increase our merits. And that is the end of the uh, Catechism of Mental Prayer. Basically, at the, at the end of this, he just gives you some suggested prayers, some suggested um, things to really think on, um, gives you different acts uh, of the body of mental prayer that you can do, acts of thanksgiving, regret, resolution, spiritual bouquet, um, different choices for subjects for meditation at the end here, um, different uh, choices for spiritual banquets. Uh, so if, honestly, this is a pretty neat little book, The Catechism of Mental Prayer. If you're wanting to be a little bit more serious about your mental prayer life, this book is honestly pretty helpful. Uh, there are a few things I left out, I, and most I, I paraphrased a large amount of what I <laughs> presented to all of you, and I do apologize if it got a little bumpy at times. Um, but yeah, I, I paraphrased, uh, but it's, it's, it's easy to read, and at the end there are different prayers and different things suggested to you all for you to meditate on, to pray about, to keep in mind all that good stuff. So, well, this got a lot longer this episode than I wanted it to, <laughs> but it happens more often than not, so that's just okay. Um, there's one last thing I want to uh, touch on um, about mental prayer before we close out, and that is uh, the contemplation or the um, the thinking aspect of it. Uh, Mental prayer is a large giant, and I do intend to spend some time on it again in more future episodes. Uh, but one of the best ways that I've found to engage in mental prayer is to listen to truly uh, spiritual, holy music. St. John Chrysostom would agree with me. As he says, just as swine run to a place where there is mire, and bees dwell where there are fragrances and incense. Likewise, demons gather where there are carnal songs, and the grace of the Holy Spirit settles where there are spiritual melodies, sanctifying both mouth and soul. And that's him speaking on chant, Gregorian chant, and stuff like that. And what he's saying is that the Holy Spirit gravitates towards that music, and that by playing that music, you're calling the Holy Spirit around you. You can meditate on that music itself. Many of those, many chants are prayers. So, the reason I bring this up at the end of the episode instead of somewhere else going on in the episode is that 
For the end of the episode, I'm going to go ahead and let it play out to a chant performed by the Benedictines of Mary, Queen of the Apostles. It's absolutely beautiful. Um, so, before I do that, I'll go ahead and do the sign-off. <laughs> um, so you can find me on uh, Facebook. You can look up uh, facebook.com forward slash jmortoncatholiczenmind. You can find me on Twitter at kofc at kofc underscore crusader. Or you can email me at catholiczenmind at yahoo.com. Uh, I encourage you to pick up a copy of the Catechism of Mental Prayer for yourself. Um, I encourage you to practice mental prayer um, as well, alongside vocal prayer. <laughs> I encourage you to pray your rosaries daily. As a matter of fact, uh, I guess I'll sign it out now. So, as always, Zen hard or don't. Pray harder, stay humble, and enjoy beautiful, wonderful music of the Benedictines of Mary, Queen of the Apostles, and have yourself a mental prayer session to them, <laughs> if you should so choose to. God bless. <laughs>